0: Change the way you wake up and do it with Rick and Dave. DiPietro and Rothenberg. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8 a.m. WEPN-FM. New York.
1: From the ESPN studios at Pier 17 in the Seaport District of New York City, this is Greeny with Mike Greenberg on ESPN Radio. You can also
0: listen and watch the show on the ESPN app. Dan Grosset in for Greeny on this Thursday, hour number two. 98.7 98.7 ESPN. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the roof, or on the road, and on the water, maybe the roof. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. We're taking it for another 60 minutes. Then it is Barton Hahn coming up at high noon at 800-919-3776. At Dan Grasses, where you can get me on Twitter. Talking a lot of baseball this morning, as you would expect. We'll get to the football coming up a little bit later on here in this hour, because yeah, both teams got themselves I would say pretty big games coming up on Sunday but we were talking Mets to close out that hour in particular and I was talking to Anthony and Ray during the break as much as maybe you don't want to admit it let's face reality when you're talking about the Mets right now and I know the offseason isn't over by any stretch but it falls into the same category as the Yankees there is work to be done Because right now, the Mets are no better, in my opinion, than a third-place team in the National League East. And I know you're talking about a club that won 101 games last year. 101 games, and Jacob DeGrom only won five. So it's like, okay, you're not going to miss him that much. And Edwin Diaz was way more valuable to the Mets than DeGrom was. And you got Diaz re-signed. Okay, job well done. But then if you have that sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop philosophy as a Mets fan, don't you almost, to an extent, kind of expect... Edwin Diaz to maybe have a slight step back next year? Like, can Edwin Diaz possibly be as good as he was last year again? Like, I can't really think of too many big spots that Edwin Diaz didn't come through last year. Like, he was that good. Is he going to be Mariano Rivera again for two straight seasons? Like, that's a lot to ask for. Okay, so then that diminishes your margin for error a little bit. Here's the other problem, and to me right now the biggest issue with the Mets... Okay, we talked about the pitching staff, and look, they, they still need to go get another arm because Verlander Scherzer, Quintana, I'm not the biggest Carlos Carrasco guy, and now I guess there's reports out there that they might even trade him because they want to free up that $14 million on an expiring contract, which might be useful to some other club out there. Maybe they're in on a Kodai Senga. You know what? I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that I know all about Kodai Senga. I've never seen the dude pitch. I'm not sitting there watching Nippon professional baseball in Japan at 4 o'clock in the morning. That's not how I roll. All right. But if the Mets and the people that should know and their scouts and everybody and everybody around Major League Baseball are willing to give this guy, you know, a hundred million dollar plus contract. Well, you know what? I guess he must be worth it. But I always have a little bit of apprehension whenever you're talking about bringing guys from Japan over to here because it is a different brand of baseball. And I don't know if they're going to be able to cut it. So there is a little bit of that fact that I don't know necessarily from a certainty aspect what you're getting if you're putting that much faith in this guy and making that much of a financial commitment. Like, say what you want about Bassett. You know, Bassett's a guy, you know he could pitch in New York. You know he could do it, despite the fact that he walked about 18 guys against the Padres in that winner-take-all game in October in the wildcard round. But the starting rotation still needs another arm. This bullpen still needs to be filled out. Behind an Edwin Diaz. I know that they got Brooks Raley. Okay, great. You know, I know that they got the kid from the Yankees in the Rule Five, Zach Green. Tremendous. But work to be done. The lineup to me is where it gets a little bit hairy. Because last year, down the stretch, into the playoffs, post trade deadline, I thought the Mets came up small at the deadline. And this isn't like hindsight. This is at the time when it happened, we were sitting there pounding the table, at least I was, saying, you know what, the Mets should have went out there and been more aggressive at the deadline to bring in another bat. Not Daniel Vogelbach, not Darren Ruff, and we know that Darren Ruff was an absolute disaster. You know, you had to get somebody to beef up this offense. They didn't do it. You saw what happened. Now, you look at the state of this lineup. Brandon Nimmo is apparently as good as gone. Because he had himself a phenomenal year, teams recognize his value, he's going to command a contract well over $100 million, and I guess the Mets maybe don't necessarily want to swim in those waters. And good for Brandon Nimmo, really, because he was a guy that over the years, I had to basically have a 180 regarding, at least in my opinion of him. You know, I thought he was a nice little player once upon a time his first couple of years in. You know, ran real hard down to first base after he walked and that sort of stuff. But you know what? His value, if you watched every game last year, you saw how important he was to this offense. Imagine this lineup without a Brandon Nimmo now moving forward. And you know what? You might have to start imagining because it looks as if if you're a betting man, he's not coming back to the Mets. Okay, so imagine this offense that doesn't even have Brandon Nimmo. Now where do you go? And this theory and this thought that I'm hearing, and I can't believe I'm hearing this in some circles. Move Starling Marte to center field. Okay, great. Can he handle center? Yeah, I think he can. But you know what? Center field is a lot more demanding on the body, and Starling Marte was not exactly Lou Gehrig last year when it came to playing 162 games. You know, he was a center fielder once upon a time. I don't know if he's a center fielder at this point in his career. I need his bat in the lineup. You saw how much his bat was missed. When he had those long stints on the injured list. He's like, oh, go sign a corner outfielder then. And like the Michael Conforto name is being thrown out there. I I mean, guys, like, come back to me. Michael Conforto? I, I mean, is that what we're really doing here? Michael Conforto? I mean, are you just like suckers for nostalgia? Is that what this is? Are you a big proponent of, like, getting the band back together? Like, why do you want to go back down that road? Been there, done that. Michael Conforto. I mean, the guy couldn't even play last year. He's got, like, a surgically repaired shoulder. And this is the guy for a team. And and, and this is the main theme of all of this. As we sit here and lament all the needs that the Mets have. This is a win-now team, okay? You don't sign Justin Verlander and give him $43 million a year at the age of 40 if you don't intend to win a World Series this year. It's not about, oh, we'll plan for 2024. No, that's not what this is about. It's win-now. Otherwise, why would you sign him? I remember, Max Scherzer's got an opt-out after next year. I mean, you know what? You may want him to opt-out. Who the hell knows, depending on how he holds up this year, if he holds up. But this is a win-now team. Michael Conforto, really? Like, you can't do better than that? They got a lot of holes in this lineup. A lot of holes. And they need fixing. You know, we're going to sit here and hand the keys to Francisco, Francisco Alvarez behind the plate and say, all right, kid, go out there and do your thing. How do we know that he's going to be the real deal as a rookie? We're just going to hand third base to Brett Beatty? All right, kid, you had a couple of weeks last year before you got hurt. Third base is all yours. Go out there and be a major run. Pro- be, be David Wright. Go ahead. Right off the bat. Mets got to beef up this lineup. There is no other way around it. Because you look around what the rest of the division is doing, and specifically Philadelphia. And I know that maybe some would look at some of the deals that they handed out as being irresponsible. Taiwan Walker, you think that's too much money for him? You know what? Good for Taiwan. That's John Middleton's money. It's not mine. It's not yours. Dave Dombrowski, you know anything about Dave Dombrowski? Dave Dombrowski, he doesn't care about the future. You know, if there's one little knock that you can have on Dave Dombrowski, who, by the way, is going to be a Hall of Fame executive, is that he sells out for tomorrow to win today. And you saw that in Philadelphia last year. Didn't take him long to get that team into a World Series, right? Gave Trey Turner $300 million. He's like, I don't care. 11 years, I'm going to be gone. I'm still not going to be running the Phillies in 11 years from now. But you know what? While the time I am spending running the Phillies, we're going to be pretty damn good. Taiwan Walker, four years, $72 million. Well, you know what? He hasn't pitched well in the second half of the season. That's okay. You know what? He's still better than what we could possibly throw out there. Let's take Taiwan Walker. And oh, by the way, we weaken a division rival in the Mets. It's not often you win 101 games and you feel as, I don't know if pessimistic is the right word, but you have as much concern about a club as you have about the Mets going into next year. They got to get creative. They got to upgrade this offense, hands down, because you got the Braves, you got the Phillies, and then you got the Mets, as far as the NL East is concerned. And last season, the way it ended, it left you kind of feeling a little bit empty. You win 101 games, but you can't even get past the Padres there in the first round. I mean, some of these moves are nice, don't get me... You know, like, and I mentioned Quintana before. Quintana's a guy who, in my opinion, hasn't really been a top-flight pitcher since, like, 2016. It's been a while. I mean, Jose Quintana basically, like, fell off the baseball map. You could have got Jose Quintana a few years ago for basically a bag of balls. That's how low his value had plummeted. I mean, he completely lost it. Last year, he was able to put it all together, kind of salvage something a little bit, so much so that the Cardinals... Even went out there and traded for him at the deadline to be sort of a hired gun for him. Started game one of their postseason for them against the Philadelphia Phillies. Great. Remember, Jose Quintana ended up in Pittsburgh last year at the beginning of the season. Had to sign a deal with Pittsburgh because that's how low his value was. The Pirates. The way baseball works, when nobody wants you, you go to the Pirates. And then you pretend that you're really excited. And good for him, you know, when he pitched well enough for those first three, three and a half months there that another team, one that actually tries to operate as a winning club, the Cardinals, they wanted him and they acquired him. But the Mets apparently were fooled enough to where they said, oh yeah, come on, join us for two years. I don't know. Questionable. Very, very questionable at this point. To be totally honest with you. And I know the offseason isn't over. Don't get me wrong. It's not over yet. But there's still some work to be done. You know, the answers aren't going to come in Joe Musgrove's ears if Buck Walter's still looking there. Remember that. Now, dealing with a dead battery, head to AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. They offer free battery services like free battery testing and free battery charging. Their free battery testing can help you know if you need a new battery or not, or if you're in need of a fresh charge. And if you do happen to need a replacement battery, they can help with that, too. They've got reliable replacement batteries starting at just $79.99, and they're the only place you can find proven tough Duralast battery. So next time you're having battery trouble, head to AutoZone, your battery solution at America's number one battery destination. Let's get to the football. Because you got a couple of big games this week. Jets-Bills, Giants-Eagles. And it's been a long time coming. I mean, that goes without saying. We're sitting here in week number, what is this, week fourteen. Mid-December, and we got meaningful football games for both of these teams. And as far as the Jets are concerned, you know, last one stunk. Did it not? That was brutal. And really a weird game. Like, I keep like revisiting it, and I keep thinking about the way everything transpired in Minnesota. It was, a, it was just a weird football game. Best word I can use to come up with it. And as we were watching that game unfold last week... And the second half just, you know, as the Jets were mounting this comeback and they were getting oh so close and knocking on the door. It felt like that second half was going to go on as long as it had to for the Jets to finally take the lead. But they didn't. And they had ample opportunities. I mean, painstakingly. You know, first and goal at the four-yard line. <laughs> Second and goal at the one-yard line. Three cracks from the one-yard line. Can't get it done. Thinking the game is over. No, Now you got another chance. You know, Mike White, despite the fact that, you know, he wasn't perfect and maybe struggled in the first half a little bit, you know, hung in there, taking hits, absorbing shots, making throw after throw after throw, doing everything possible except getting that team in the end zone when they had to there late in the fourth quarter. But a winnable game and one that they feel that they should have won. You know, and talking to a lot of the guys when I was out there yesterday. Now you got a Buffalo team, which you're going up there, and you know that they smell blood. And they're out for revenge. And they're going to be coming off at 10 days off, because the last time we saw the Bills, of course, was on that Thursday night against the Patriots. But Von Miller's not going to be there. And Von Miller was a guy who made a pretty impactful play in that last game at MetLife Stadium a couple of weeks ago when he stripped Zach Wilson of the football. Even though Josh Allen then turned it over a couple of plays later when he threw the INT to Sauce Gardner. And look, that's something that going into this game is certainly something the Jets use as fuel in the fact that, you know, Josh Allen is still a turnover machine here. Josh Allen is a guy that they proved last time when they played at MetLife that you can get to. And you can force him into miscues. I think the Jets feel they match up well with Buffalo. I feel that, you know, just in talking to some of the guys yesterday that they're still kind of ticked off at the way things unfolded in Minnesota and they really feel that's a game that they should have won so now what do you do you go back out there and you try to get back in the win column against a good Buffalo Bills team not saying that they're not of course they're a good Buffalo team they're still the best team in the division and one of the best teams in the AFC in fact right now they're the number one seed in the AFC but is it a winnable game absolutely it is And I think if you're a fan, you probably feel a lot more confident going into this game with Mike White at quarterback after what you've seen from the first two starts that number 5 has made. Remember, you beat this Buffalo Bills team with Zach Wilson a couple of weeks ago. So if you can find a way to win that game with him, you would think that you're going to be able to do the same if you have at least a little bit more reliable passing attack. Because remember, the Jets won that game back at MetLife Stadium with the play of their defense, And really, push comes to shove the way they grounded it out in the running game. Even in that fourth quarter where they began it with that long drive where they just ran the ball right down Buffalo's throats down the field. They're going to have to get that going again. And really, for the last couple of weeks, that's been something that's kind of been missing from that attack, to be quite honest with you. I think that Bam Knight is somebody who has provided a nice boost. He ain't going anywhere. He is going to be a big part of this game plan this week. Talked to Bam yesterday. Real good dude. First time I had a chance to uh, talk to him. You'll hear that on the pregame show coming up Sunday at 11 a.m. Went one-on-one with Bam. He's carved out a role in this offense. You know, he brings that explosive element in the running game here. Broke off that one down the sidelines. Looked like maybe, just maybe, he was going to take it to the house, but didn't quite happen. You know, and I think more than anything else, it's yet another example Of the job that Joe Douglas and the staff have done in just incorporating talent onto this roster. You know, you got a guy like Bam Knight who was undrafted, right? An undrafted guy. Initially made the 53-man roster at a camp. Then ends up on the practice squad. Then has to wait, what, 11 weeks or whatever it is before he finally gets an opportunity to play? In that game against Chicago last week. And think about how many running... They even went out and acquired James Robinson. When Brees Hall goes down and they're like, shoot, we need to go out there and get some help in the running game. They had Bam Knight under their nose this whole time, but yet they still went out and got James Robinson. I think it shows you that they've done a nice job bringing in pieces and bringing in some talent on this roster. And you know what? Maybe they have themselves another diamond in the rough here. Who knows? Only time will tell. But the quarterback is still what's going to make this thing go, right? And I know that there's still a lot of curiosity out there because, you know, I get it. First game that Mike White played this year was against the Chicago Bears. Bears aren't that good, especially defensively, even though it was a tremendous performance. Then last week, you go to Minnesota, and Minnesota's got the worst pass defense in the NFL, even though it was kind of bend but don't break, and they did a good job when it mattered and keeping the Jets out of the end zone for the most part. But I still think there's a little bit of that yeah, but. You know, and I think that people around the league that maybe aren't in New York and don't watch this team day in and day out like we do, they still think that the Mike White thing is maybe a fad. And they still need convincing. And that's why this game, I think, coming up on Sunday is going to answer a lot of questions, certainly for the people around the country, but maybe even some here who are a little bit skeptical. Because I don't have to tell you, remember, it was a year ago where the whole Mike White story kind of turned into a pumpkin. Right? When they played the Buffalo Bills at MetLife Stadium, when he came back from that little injury and he threw four interceptions. And then we never saw Mike White again for the rest of the year. And he thought that, okay, it was a nice story while it lasted, but well, now he's got another chance. Now he's got a chance up in their building. And to say that this is an important game is putting it mildly right? Jets still have everything in front of them for the remainder of the season. Jets go to the playoffs. They win out. They control their own destiny. And if you win this game on Sunday, then you could start thinking realistically about winning a division because you would have the tiebreaker over the Buffalo Bills. As things stand right now, you have the tiebreaker over the Miami Dolphins. And then you've got to play them again in week 18 down in their place at the end of the season. It's all there right in front of you. I'll say this about this Jets team. They're a resilient bunch. They don't blink. And remember, they still haven't lost back-to-back games yet all season long. They find a way to get up off the mat. And I think that to a man in that locker room, like I said, just talking to some of the guys... They feel that this is one that they can get going up to Orchard Park on Sunday. Hey, Saturday at 3 p.m. It's the Army-Navy game down at Lincoln Financial Field. Bowl season is going to begin next Friday. It's just college football done. You know, like once, it really is incredible. It goes so fast. Um, But, hey we'll see and we got of course our four playoff teams hopefully we get some good games that'll be on New Year's Eve but yeah the Army Navy game is always fun and that'll be on Saturday afternoon you got the Heisman Trophy that they're going to give out on Saturday night for those who care I I would expect um, Caleb Williams to win from Southern Cal we'll see but I don't know kind of I don't know it was one of those weird seasons where uh, the guys didn't necessarily jump off the page too much when you're talking about college football and uh, big performances and whatnot, but hey, par for the course, it happens. News from Greeny Nation just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper call in line, 800-919-3776. Uh, Alright, let's go to the phones. Let's say hi to Vinny. He is in Staten Island. He is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Vin, how are you? Good, how are you? Good afternoon. What's up, Vin? Uh, I'd just like to give another take on the Jets.
1: Now, Zach Wilson is 5-2 and two as a starter. If Mike White has another bad game like he had against Buffalo last year, throws two more interceptions. Do we see Zach Wilson the following week? Because Salah has left the, left the door
0: open to say he will play again. Just just curious to see what you say. Uh, I say no. I don't think so. Now, look... I, I, I would be surprised, Vin, to be quite honest with you, if you see a performance. You know, look, the Jets might not win on Sunday, but I would be very surprised if you see a performance like the one you saw a year ago against the Buffalo Bills. First and foremost, Jets are a much better team around Mike White than the one that was on the field last year against those Buffalo Bills at MetLife Stadium. And number two, I think Mike White has improved from even just last year. You know, Mike White has spoken about, you know, the, the mistakes he made in that game and how correctable it was and, and those type of things here. And, you know, the other thing about it, too, the guys in that locker room, they're behind Mike White. There's no other way around it. They are behind the quarterback. And, you know, a couple of – you watch the games – you know, last week against the Vikings, look at that play. Was it the second to last drive? Can't even, I think it was the second to last drive. The one that ended with, with the, uh, when Berrios couldn't come up with the one in the end zone. But it was third and ten. Mike White got absolutely drilled. They were coming on a blitz and got absolutely drilled. Greg and I, we both said he's dead. Because he wasn't moving. We, just, we said, oh, he's dead. Like, didn't, thought he'd have to come out of the game. Like, that was it. The, the Mike White story was going to be over because of that hit. Done. Not only doesn't he get himself up off the mat, he stays in the game, and then you're thinking, oh, it's fourth down. You know, normally what happens in those situations in football, if a quarterback gets his bell rung to the extent that Mike White did on that play, you know, the offensive coordinator or the play caller, they're generally running play on the next one because you want the quarterback to maybe get his bearings back a little bit. and You're not going to ask him to do too much, but that was fourth and 10 coming up. So you couldn't run the football. They called the pass play. And what does Mike White do? He throws a frozen rope right over the middle to Corey Davis for a big gain to keep the drive alive. You know, that's just one example. And don't think for a second that the guys in that huddle and the guys in the locker room didn't notice that. A couple of them told me yesterday. Eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Richard in Manhattan is up next here on 98.7. Richard, how are you?
1: Hi, Dan. You know, I love what the Mets did. Because I don't care about the signing of uh, uh, Verlander, but it showed that they were ready with Plan B. They said Degrom, you want to leave? Go. We got another. And that was it. They didn't waste five seconds to think about it. So for this year, I don't care whether we have Verlander or uh, or Degrom for one year. That's all I go by. At best, sports now is a year by year thing. Who would have thought that Baker Mayfield would be starting for the Rams ten months after they won the Super Bowl?
0: I mean, so you don't know, you can't no, plan. No, but Richard, Richard go- that's all well and good, but. Have they done enough to beef That's up this roster to become a championship team this year? They'll do more.
1: Dan, one more thing. College football, they shoot themselves in the foot. Why isn't the Final Four this weekend and the Finals next weekend? we got to wait four weeks before this gets going again. This is ridiculous. This, they can be playing now. Let all those meaningless games... Bowl games go after the championship. It's been determined. Why play the championship on the day where they're playing the uh, other meaningless games, the Rose Bowl and this game and that game? It makes no sense. Strike while the iron is hot. It's hot right now. Keep college football pertinent. We're going to wait four weeks. I don't understand it. You have all four games, this, all two, both games this weekend. Following weekend, right before Christmas, you have the final. And then you do whatever you want. You could play your Army Navy game, your uh, insignificant bowl games after that. Till the middle of January. It doesn't matter. But you got to strike while it's hot. I don't understand it, Dan. I really don't.
0: Rich, thanks for the phone call. Um, is it hot? You know, Like I said, I don't think this has been a great college football season. I have not been as geeked up into the college football as I usually am this year, it, just me speaking. But here's the problem you run into, two things, why you can't do that. Number one, you talk about the meaningless bowl games. If you play the playoffs now, And then you put all those other bowl games like the uh, Bahamas Bowl and the Duke's Mayo Bowl and whatever the hell, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl. Who's going to watch them? You know, there's some people that question right now who's going to watch, but really who's going to watch them if you've already played the ones that matter the most in the playoff games and the significant ones, right? I mean, I guess you could always bet on them. So, I mean, there's always going to be an appetite there. And then if you really want to, you know, be a cynic, remember The reason they're not playing the games now is because they have finals, right? They are student athletes. There is an academic proponent to this whole thing. You can't expect them to go out and play football. They got to go to the library. They got to study. They have exams. They're there to get an education, not to play football. Come on. You guys are better than that should know better. And by the way, all seriousness, in a couple of years when we have the expanded playoffs in college football, National Championship game is not going to be played until January the 20th, I think they said. So you're pushing everything back a couple of weeks further than you have it even now because you're going to have more playoff games in the month of December. I think, look, more more football, more games, I, I don't think people are going to object you know, and these are technically going to be called playoff games, so they're going to have significance, and you should get into it, and, and, and that sort of thing. As far as the Giants are concerned, you know, last week, again, it was odd. I hate ties, for one. And I think in this situation, the tie actually is not the worst thing in the world for the Giants because they stay ahead of Washington. You know, it's not like they fell behind them. And look, when Gano got a hold of that one at the end of overtime, I thought it was good. You know, lined it up, just did not quite have the distance from 58 yards out. It happens. But this is going to be a tough one this week for the Giants. You know, I, I, I'm not feeling all that confident in going into this game against Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a better football team. I mean, th- there's no other way to slice it. But I really haven't wavered on how I feel about this team. I know that some people are a little bit more down on them and pessimistic at saying, you know, we've heard all this, they're not going to win another game this year, and, you know, it was fun while it lasted, but they're going to run out of steam. Giants are still in a good position as far as I'm concerned. You know, they have not done anything over the last couple of weeks, maybe with the exception of tying Washington and not beating them outright, and it was still a, it was still there to be had. It was still a winnable football game for them. But... I didn't expect them to beat Philadelphia this week. I still think they could go down to D.C. and win a football game next week. You know, they have Indianapolis coming. I mean, did you watch Indianapolis last week? Do we still have to continue this myth that the Colts are a good football team and that the Colts are to be taken seriously? I I mean, did you see that game that they played on Monday Night Football against the Pittsburghs? Forget about it. (laughs) I mean, Jeff Saturday can't operate the clock. Then they go into Dallas on Sunday Night Football. And if you watch the second half, it was almost like a comedy routine. I was waiting for, like, the Benny Hill music to play, where every time Matt Ryan and the offense took the football, it was a turnover. And the Cowboys were taking the ball and running down the other side of the field. I mean, like, really, if the Giants—look, I'll say this crystal clear. If the Giants cannot beat the Indianapolis Colts when they have to play them in a few weeks, then they don't deserve to go to the playoffs. Nothing more, nothing less. If you can't beat the Colts at home, you don't deserve to be a playoff team. So we can end all the debate right there. But do I still think the Giants are going to be in a position where they're going to be in the playoffs? Yeah, I do. Because I believe in this coaching staff. I believe what they're selling, and I believe what this team has done up until this point. Are they low on talent compared to some of these other clubs? Yeah. Have injuries crippled this team? No pun intended? Yeah, absolutely. But I still think they've got enough to inch over the line and get in. Another big part of that is because the NFC stinks. If we were in the AFC and we were talking about the Giants, you say, oh, you you confident? You think they're going to make it? Well, maybe not as much because the AFC is a lot deeper than the NFC is. But I wouldn't judge the fate of the Giants based upon how they perform this week against Philadelphia because you know what? They're probably not going to win this game because the Eagles are pretty damn good. That's why. Don't forget to get me on Twitter at Dan Gross at We'll be back with you again tomorrow at this same time at 10 a.m. How about the Knickerbockers? Huh? How about those pesky Knicks? They get the job done last night once again and take down their old buddy Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Hey, two in a row it was two in a row. So it's like a little bit of pseudo-revenge the last couple of games, right? You beat Donovan Mitchell and the Cavaliers on Sunday. You take care of business against the Hawks. look, Look, I know that the Hawks are missing a couple of guys. I know that DeJounte Murray, who destroyed them in the last time they came to Madison Square Garden. I know he left early last night. But you know what? A win is a win is a win is a win. Right? The hell with the excuses. Win games at all costs. And look, as bad as things have seemed at times for the Knicks already this year, you're still just a game back of fourth place in the Eastern Conference. You know, you got a bunch of these teams that are just kind of all mix-matched together there right in the middle, and I think the Knicks are certainly part of that group. But I think, you know, if you want to go glass half full, Saturday was an embarrassment. Was it not against the Dallas Mavericks, especially in that second half and in the fourth quarter? Like, I'm, I'm out running errands on Saturday morning, and I got the game on in the car. And the Knicks are up like 12 in the, in the first half. I'm like, oh, you know, playing well turn the game off, go and do what I got to do, put the game back on a little while later in the second half, they're down by 30. I'm like, what the hell happened? So as bad as that was, the fact that you could get up off the mat, come back and win a couple of games against good opponents, you know, I I, I think that counts for something. And you know what's actually fueled the victory, and I know that this is like... Seem like forbidden fruit for the Knicks for a while. It's been the defense. How about that? Tom Thibodeau's calling card. They're actually stopping. I mean, they've allowed less than 90 points in each of the last two games. I mean, what year is this? You know, you look on the sidelines, you expect to see Pat Riley there with his hair slicked back in the nice suits. Like, this is 90s Knicks the last couple of games. You know, Atlanta shoots 6 of 36 from 3 last night. Wow. Give me more of that, please. And look, we'll see how long this lasts. At least in terms of the streamline rotation, or at least the guys who are gonna be a part of it right now, because okay, you got Deuce McBride, who's getting minutes is the first point uh the first guard off the bench there behind Brunson. And look, is Derek Rose gonna stay happy not playing? I mean, he's a Tibbs guy. Cam Reddish reportedly asked for a trade. He said he didn't ask for a trade, back and forth. I just don't understand. See, I thought we figured this whole Cam Reddish thing out because a few weeks ago, sitting there singing the praises of Cam Reddish, right? He got an opportunity at the beginning of the year, found himself a role in the starting lineup, was actually showing you some things. Then he gets nicked up a little bit and now all of a sudden he's in the doghouse and he's on the outs. So, I I, I mean, maybe they're just like throwing things up against the wall and trying to find the right combination that's going to work the best. I, I, I don't know. But something's got to give like, I don't think this is going to be the group for the rest of the season here with the Knicks, because I don't think you're going to be able to keep everybody happy. And if you want to go positive, okay, Quentin Grimes, is he all the way back? Is he finally like Quentin Grimes again? And if so, if this is the version you're going to get where he's sitting there and he's being a menace to Trey Young, and he's able to play lockdown defense against Donovan Mitchell over the weekend, and he's hitting his shot from beyond the arc. I mean, dare I say, is Quentin Grimes a legit 3-and-D for this basketball team? All the praise, why Quentin Grimes was this untouchable during the offseason, and whatever kind of trade possibilities that were being thrown out there, oh, you can't have Quentin Grimes, is this the version? Is this what the Knicks ideally see in him? I mean, it'd be nice if it continues, but you just gotta keep building off of this. 800-919-3776. 800 919 3776. That is the telephone number. Tommy and Brick up next here on 987. Tommy, how are you?
1: Hey, hi, Dan. Uh, I just want to talk about the Mike White situation. Yeah. Uh, think about it. They, uh, they whiff on Sam Darnold. They whiff on Zach Wilson. It looks like maybe a, a big whiff. Uh, two high draft picks. Then they get this guy, Mike White. He, he gets dropped by the team four times. Now now the guys are, are wearing his T-shirts before the game. It's like a big middle finger to Zach Wilson, I think. He, he's got to feel like that. Now let's, let's assume they go, he, Mike White has, finishes strong, has a good finish to the season. Are the Jets going to hold on to him next year? What do you think?
0: <sighs> Tom, I think that's a good question. And you know what? I, the best way I could answer it is I don't even think the Jets know the answer to that question. I really don't. And it goes without saying that Mike White is going to be the guy that answers that question for them. Because, look, if you're a quarterback, forget about a quarterback, if you're any player, your job is to make it difficult on that team not to find reasons to play you, right? So if you're Mike White... If you go out there and keep playing like you've done for the last couple of weeks, you've got an entire locker room that's behind you, essentially, right? You want to make their job more difficult in trying to decide, is this the guy? Do we have to go out in the offseason and still satisfy our quarterback position, whether it's a short-term solution, a long-term solution? And why shouldn't Mike White be a part of the mix? You know, if Mike White leads the Jets to the playoffs... And I'm not saying that that's the end-all, be-all, because look, in NFL history, we've seen quarterbacks win Super Bowls for teams and end up not on the team the next year, right? Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl for the Ravens, and week one next year, Elvis Gerback was a starting quarterback in Baltimore, and Dilfer was gone. So it doesn't guarantee you anything, but if Mike White takes this team to the playoffs, I would like to certainly think that his name is going to be in the conversation for the starting job next year. Now, I don't know if he's going to be the guy for, you know, five, ten years. But I think he's earned himself the opportunity to get a crack at it next season. Now, does that mean a competition with Zach Wilson? Does it mean a competition with another quarterback that they go out there and acquire? I don't know the answer to that. And I think that the next five games are going to tell us all we need to know. But if this team gets to a place where it hasn't been in over a decade. Good luck trying to explain to the entire locker room. Why he shouldn't at least have an opportunity to win that job on a permanent basis moving forward to bottom line business. And I think that it's evident when they went out there a few weeks ago and they made Mike White the quarterback and put Zach Wilson on the bench while this team was playing winning football, while this team still had its eyes on the playoffs, they basically told you we're not punting on the season. We're not rebuilding anymore. We're trying to win games. And they feel that Mike White is the guy who gives them the best opportunity to win football games, at least right now here in the final five weeks of the 2022 season.